Welcome to TonkoCast number 30. Today's guests are Bradley Slabe and Andrew Goldsmith.、Uh, they're the directors of this amazingly sweet short, Lost and Found. Lost and Found is this a, a really、uh, well done stop motion animated short.、Um, and、uh, they brought the puppets with them and they screened it at Tonko House. And we all loved it.、Uh, some of us、uh, cried and, and、uh, we got to interview them. Unfortunately, I wasn't the one who interviewed them. It was actually Robert, but he's feeling lazy today. So I'm actually here. Just kidding, he's always worked hard and he's on much deserved vacation. So I'm in his place reintroducing those guys. But the interview was amazing, so listen up. Bradley, Andrew, thanks for being on with us. You guys did a really beautiful short that we were able to watch called Lost and Found, which is now going around to different festivals.、Um, but for our audience, can you just give a quick little blurb? Because、uh, I don't want to, I could talk about the film, but I'm so afraid that I'll give away. Little pieces, but could you guys talk a little bit of letting our audience know what the film's about? It's about a knitted dinosaur who gets caught in a nail and has to unravel to, to save the love of its life. Awesome. It's a really beautiful film that's stop motion.、Uh, the characters are these beautifully knitted、uh, characters a dinosaur and a fox. And you guys, how did you guys start? What, what was the kind of the beginning process of Lost and Found? I know, Bradley, you had written several things.、Um, But what was the start of the project? Cody, do you want me to take this? Yeah, I mean, you, you, start, you, you were there at the Genesis before I was there. So you start with, with the bit where you were at. Sure.、Um, I, wrote, uh, I wrote three stories, not necessarily in the, the picture storybook that I mentioned. I'd written three ideas, and、uh, Goldie and I had、uh, kind of talked about working together because when we were in high school, we、uh, always admired each other's work from afar. Um, and so, when the school I was studying at, at AFTERS in Sydney, they、um, gave us a small budget. And so, I approached Goldie and said, Would you, We've got a bit of money.、Uh, would you be interested in working up any of these three ideas with me?、Um, we both liked the knitted doll one. And from there, we, that's where we created the picture storybook as a proof of concept. This is a very short version of the story.、Um, created a, the picture storybook. And then we took that to. Our government funding body called Screen Australia. And they gave us、uh, that. That's when we brought our producer, Lucy Hayes, on board and we made our company to make the film. And so, Bradley, you were a writer on the film and you guys co directed together. Andrew, can you tell me a little bit of like where, like what your part in the process of directing, how you guys work together as a, a team? Yeah, so, so Brad,、um, yeah, have, having written the script originally,、um, I think. The, the, the interesting part of the process of this film was, was this picture storybook that happened first, actually, was like the beginning of our like, development of it、mm-hmm. from outside the script. Because essentially,、um, the picture storybook being a necessity because we couldn't afford to make the film with the, with the money that we had was the start of us collaborating on okay, how do we take this script from the page and turn it into a visual story? So, Brad and I would sit down together for kind of days on end, sketching little thumbnail storyboards and talk and restructuring little details to try and figure out how to tell the story in as few 
images as possible for the mm-hmm. picture storybook. So yeah, like we collaborate together on that and we would, we would kind of figure out together what are the, what are maybe the problems or what are the hard things to illustrate or animate or, you know, what, what are some ways we could keep tightening the story um, and then kind of Brad would go away and tinker and write more with the script and come back and then we would kind of workshop again from there. So that process went on a lot during the picture storybook phase and then again when it was like time for real production, we kind of did that completely again based mm-hmm. on the necessities of stop motion and, and our budget and the set and what we could physically do. And yeah, because, um, you know, as you know, in an in, in animated film process, you kind of, you kind of keep making the film over and over and over again until you actually animate it for real. You know, this process happened again in animatic phase. And then even, you know, as we started the shoot, we would keep evolving the animatic and keep having these story workshops and, and where we kind of talk it out until something needed to be done. And then Brad would kind of like, like go home with like, here are the problems. How do we solve them and come back with like ideas of how to fix them. And then from a co-directing point of view on like once the shoot had started, I have a background in kind of stop motion and mixed media and visual effects and stuff. So, and live action. So, so I, I would focus more heavily on the kind of onset practicality, working with the DOP and, and the rigging and the animation and everything to kind of make happen what, what Brad and I have discussed. We want a certain <laughs> shot to be, um, and, and Brad's focus would more be on like how the performance of the character is going to, is going to work mm-hmm. in a certain shot, like to, to fit within the story and also be yeah, doing this thing where we're like constantly developing the animatic while we're shooting. So we, you know, we would, we would collaborate on all those things, but then we would kind of focus on Brad would like hone in on story and performance. And I would hone in on kind of animation and technical stuff, which was kind of a nice thing to have two people to like, especially when you got a small budget and a small, amount of resources to be able to like split those tasks a little bit. That's so cool. Um, it's interesting, you know, for myself, uh, we had made a short film, the dam keeper, and it was comprised of, you know, a creative partnership. Myself and dice were kind of two directors that worked together. And, uh, one of the most defining <clears throat> things for our relationship is actually not so much how things went well, but oftentimes when we had differences, how to resolve those things. What for you guys, like, uh, given that, you know, you, you guys worked on this process. It took quite a while. Stop motion is, is a very laborious process. And overall, when you guys do come to kind of a place where you have creative differences, how do you guys work together in that space? I think we probably have similar uh, defining feature to you when you mentioned that. Like a lot of the, a lot of the co-directing process was like, was discussions and debates. And we both have our own vision of what the film is going to be and that's not necessarily too far misaligned yeah but like how to get there might be you might have a different kind of opinion mm. on, on what works best for that and so because brad and i have like slightly different sensibilities we would often kind of disagree on the best way forward but what that meant was like you ended up you were either you were really sure of what you wanted if you were really sure of what you wanted you would fight for that and there would be like, you know, as the, as the discussions happened, it would be clear, well, this person feels a lot more strongly than that person. So maybe, you know, it matters more and that might lean it that way. It meant you had to think, you had to think things through a lot because if you were going to say, no, I think it's going to be this way, 
um, you had to kind of convince someone. You had to give yeah. a reason so you couldn't just use gut instinct. So that was interesting. There's a lot of like yeah. articulation and intellectualizing of, of choices, which is, I guess, a bit different. But I don't know. Is there other strategies, Brad, that you can – like I know there's that, that <clears throat> conviction thing, but how else did we solve – yeah, oh, Brad, Bradley's like, I totally disagree with that. That's not how it happens. Well, I was just thinking there were times where where we would both have justifications for why we saw a certain thing. Um, and then <laughs> when that started to happen, there were certain moments where we found this happy medium where there was this kind of solution in the middle that wasn't anything uh, that either of us had thought of that was kind of the sum of parts, which was terrific. Um, and then there were times where we were at a sailmate. We both were so passionate about having it go a certain way that we'd uh, bring in a mediator, which is great because our producer, Lucy, she she has a strong story instinct as well. Mm. Um, and she would be able to come in and say, I, like she, she wouldn't press like uh, her creative charge, but she would say it feels more natural to kind of lean this way because A, B. But we try to kind of uh, find a decision within ourselves so there weren't too many cooks in the kitchen before bringing in other creative uh, collaborations. Got it. And can, that's great. I mean, t- how many people were on – how long did the production take? How many people were on the team? And, and kind of uh, what was it like working on this stop-motion uh, film for quite a, quite a long time, right? You guys were shooting this. So it's like, I guess, like about three years from when we got funded and started pre-production to when we actually kind of finished the film about a week before it had to be sent to Berlin for <laughs> yeah. our premiere screening. So, and, and, and to break it down um, just broadly, it's like maybe three months of pre-production, set building, testing, puppet building, stuff like that before shooting kind of started and then that and then that kind of pre-production phase still continued over the shoot for another three months where you know we were we had one set ready and one character ready but while that was being shot the other stuff was still being built and and painted and prepared and everything so yeah maybe six months of of pre-production stuff overlapping with the shoot and then like what is it 12 14 months shoot or something Um, 14 months shoot and that's like Pretty much five days a week um, and something like, you know, a day to anywhere between half a day to, to two days, let's say, to set up a shot. And that might include doing some blocking or doing a practice, you know, kind of rehearsal take, like a real low frame rate take. And um, and then anywhere between, you know, half a day and I think our longest shot take took four days or three, Wait, no, three or four days. That very last shot of the film. The last uh, shot of the film, yeah. Yeah, there was a. I, correct me if I'm wrong. It was two three days, days, three days to set up, or three days. To oh shoot, no, sorry, two days to set up. three days to shoot. Yeah, two days. Yeah, to set up, maybe something. So like that, that was that. a full um, week for that shot. Um, but that's a that's a long shot. That's like yeah. a 15 second shot or something. And you know, luckily the lo- that being the longest shot in the film um, is probably one of the most important performance wise. But it's really mm-hmm. subtle as well, and there's limited camera movement. So from a technical point of view. It wasn't that hard, but from an animation point of view, it was like quite a slog for Sam, our animator, to kind of like hit those beats so beautifully and subtly over, you know, the right length of time. Because it's easy to rush a stop motion shot yeah. um, because 
sometimes you just need to get there when you're halfway through a motion or a movement, which I guess, so talking about Sam, that brings us to the crew. Um, so we only had one animator. So Sam, Samuel Lewis animated the entire film, both characters and most of the effects. We had some assistance and sometimes we were the assistants when, you know, you needed someone doing puppet and the camera were really far away. So someone's operating one or the other or, the elemental stuff like water or thing, other set pieces that move. Sometimes we would just in the assistant, but otherwise, like he he took complete ownership and charge of that. Um, Gerald Thompson, our DP, um, who is um, the DP for Adam Elliott's Mary and Max, so he's kind of Australia's stop yeah. motion expert. He lit the film. He did all the motion control. He actually builds motion control hardware and writes motion control software himself. So he's like this extremely um, practical and technical guy who would, when Brad and I would say, oh, what, can we do this in a shot? Can we make the camera do this? He'd be like, no, no, of course you can't. And then he'd come in the next day and be like, okay, I built this thing. Maybe it'll work. Um, and, you know, it basically always did. So, yeah, he, he would be in a few days a week to set up the shots. Sam would be in every day of the week to, to rehearse and animate and discuss. And also Sam, Sam was also in charge of, like the puppets, their maintenance, their replacement pieces and upkeep with the armature and the wool and all that stuff. Um, so he, he always had something to do. It, Brad and I and those two are basically the on-set everyday <coughs> people that are making the film churn along. But then there's like um, Rennie Watson, our production designer, who's there for you know that six-month pre-production period of building all the sets sourcing all the props, designing everything, scenic painting, all that stuff with the crew that fluctuated in size depending on who of his friends could uh, give a helping hand that weekend or who or yeah, who was appropriate or available. And then he would come in still at certain, you know, when we turned over sets to, to move to a new piece or did something that we were seeing for the first time, you know, he would come in and make sure it looked right. And then there was, you know, a handful of other people who came in and out, um, like art assistants who would come and, and, and hand build some props and paint some things or help create a lot of the bespoke set pieces that need mm -hmm. to come apart and move out of the way. And then there was Lucy, of course, who was actually overseas for a big a chunk of the shoot. Um, she was in LA, but a stop motion shoot moved so slowly that I, and with such a small crew that I think that didn't, that didn't matter too much. And like, that's the core crew. And yeah. then there's the post. The post is essentially um, Dave Abbott, is our kind of VFX supervisor and lead compositor and myself who would would oversee, you know, the connection between the cinematography, the animation and the, and the VFX. And he and I did probably 80% uh, of the post on the film and then had, you know, volunteers and friends and, and support from, from a production company I work with called Pixel. Some people lent a hand from there as well. So that was also a pretty small crew but we were on set all the time doing that like the same way brad and i would maybe update the animatic while we after we shot something there's like it changed so maybe we'd make a decision of how to change the story also we would update our vfx techniques as we went like we would shoot a shot with uh you know blue screen behind our green character and and we'd start working on it and a week after we'd shot that shot we'd be like you know what i think if that kind of situation pops up again we should put black behind them because you get a better key on their fur or some mm. variation in technique. And, and so we learned as we went, what kind of shots would be better to do with what process and like how maybe what a better rigging position would be or a better 
better way to get our clean plates or something. So there was this constant like tweaking of the of the post pipeline during the shoot. So which meant that Dave, our VFX supervisor, was there a lot as well. Like he, he would work out of the studio. God, that's so um, cool. That was a waffled way to say like what, like six people in three years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was great. I think it really illustrated the process. And also I think it shows how much too you guys value your team and all these what these individuals kind of bring to the table. I mean, stop motion is like a laborious kind of at times, you know, really somewhat slow process, but also uh, how, what were there any discoveries in the actual shooting of it or was it all kind of planned out? What do you mean by discoveries? Well, you know, it's, it's like what we see in the final film was that, you know, you guys talked about animatics and kind of planning (laughs) and, playing with things, but from where the animatics were to where the final film ended up, when you were actually kind of on set and looking at, you know, the actual setup and everything, was there any level of improvisation or kind of, hey, let's try this? Or was it all kind of like, no, we we figured it all out and then we were executing kind of in a way? I think, uh, well, because the animatic, uh, as Goldie was saying, before in terms of we constantly need to evolve the matic to kind of if if a set piece if a character the character's mobility wasn't able to give the action that we had had in the in the thumbnails we'd need to update so that was a constant evolving tool but there there, it wasn't a i think those days were seldom and Mm -hmm. goldie correct me if i'm wrong but we would those days would be stressful because we would do our best to avoid having to improvise on the day and if mm. there were, I think there was, I can recall one shot at least, Goldie, where we needed to shoot that day um, and what we had originally planned wasn't working. And so we had about an, well, a small amount of time to kind of just think of another shot. This is for, for one of the, the memory uh, uh-huh. backlashes. Mm. Um, we did to kind of, improvise something like that that would be simple and achievable to animate that or to set up so our animator could come in the next day and Mm. um kind of yeah uh complete animating it so we can move on but i think we tried to kind of stick to what we had planned or discussed as close as possible because when you improvise there's a large margin for error and in I mean, animation at all, not just stop motion. I mean, you don't really get more than one chance. And if you do, you're very lucky. So we did try and kind of multiple takes. um, And we tried to avoid shooting anything we wouldn't need. So anytime we did have this thing, we're like, oh, this looks like it could change. Or or we had a shot come in that affected the animatic, like made it feel a little different. um, We would try and quickly adjust for it in a way that meant, like our rule was trying to be like, when we make a change, if we add a shot or if we add a complexity, we should take away at least one and ideally two. Like you, we should be inventing a new shot that can, that can tell the story that two shots were already telling. Yeah. Um, so when we did make changes and improvise, it was more that we were improvising like a week ahead of when we were about to shoot. It was like, oh, we shot this shot. We know we're going to shoot another one in, in a week and a half that relate, that comes after this. Let's, let's tweak now before we get to it. And so yeah. it's a bit of building the tracks while the train was kind of coming, but it was rare that there was like big improvising, you know, on set. But, but Sam, as he animates, obviously like there's the, there's the blocking of the shot, but there's also heaps of unknown. There's mm-hmm. like, you don't know how fast a head's going to turn right. or, a, or how big a reaction's going to be until you kind of get in there. 
Um, and some of the tweaks on setup day would be technical, like Brad pointed to, like maybe the rig can't be, can't hold the puppet up in the way we thought it would, or, or that gets in the way of something or their arms are too short to do what we thought they could do or whatever. And then there's like, I wouldn't call it quite improvising, but there's like a quick discussion of like, okay, what can we do? And, and Sam would suggest what he thought was right. And, you know, we would bounce ideas back and forth. Um, but yeah, mostly I watched the, um, like a version, like cut, I think we got to like cut 96 by the end of the film because we ah, kept, because cut one is right. the first animatic and cut 96 is the finished film. Um, and I think I watched like cut 10 the other week or something. And like, it's pretty similar. Oh, it's God. pretty much in the drawings, in the storyboards. You know, there's way more uh, detail and character and humanity and emotion and everything in the in the final version. But we didn't we didn't stray. Yeah, I don't think. That's amazing. That's amazing. I haven't watched that animatic in ages. That's yeah. I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great <laughs> to see. see. <laughs> it's got like it's got like maybe ten finished shots in it, and the rest is um, storyboards. Got it. Right. Oh, great. That's cool. We'll That's amazing. And then the studio that you guys have, uh, and I actually don't know if you guys are both part of the studio, but Wabi Sabi is the name of your studio. Is that mm-hmm. correct? And then, uh, and then the film itself also has quite a bit of kind of Japanese touches and the overall, is it a restaurant or like a kind of a bedroom um, where there's, there's a little fountain that's very of Japanese influence, but can you talk a little bit about where the Japanese influence comes from Um for the film originally when i wrote a very early version i think the first version of the script was set in an alleyway um and there wasn't that much japanese inspiration but i was writing two stories at the time uh one was set in a sushi bar where which is where it ended up and the other story i was writing this is for that picture storybook um was about two bonsai trees um so we wanted to tie these three stories together Mm-hmm. um with color and location and so we kind of transposed that the 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 knitted doll story which is uh, called lost and found now to fit inside that same universe that's why it's all set in that sushi bar but i think where we were most inspired was by doing our research and learning about philosophies like wabi-sabi which is what our company is called and kintsugin being really fascinated by that way of thinking that the things that make us broken makes up, make us beautiful. Um, and things that, uh, in life end make it more precious. And so, uh, we really try to put that into all three of the stories. So even with, uh, the way our art director, Rennie Watson treated that when he read the script and we were trying to visualize how that sushi bar, the aesthetic would look, um, there's a lot of like we would get stools and then we'd like sand them down to make them look worn or we'd kind of lit it, light it very dimly to kind of kind of keep in line with that wabi-sabi aesthetic that, that things are aged and worn and that's what's kind of made this thing feel like home. That's amazing. And I'll just add to the wabi-sabi thing, like the other another nice philosophy of it or, or line of thinking of it is about how the all the imperfections um, that exist in in an object or, or something is like the beauty of that is that it's telling all the, all of its stories. Like that's all of its stories. So, you know, our characters have that like pretty viscerally and clearly like happening in front of you during the story. But the, you know, as Brad mentioned, like Rennie Watson put all those details into the set. So the set 
like if you look at the set, especially when you were standing on it, it was lit. It was amazing. You, you felt like it had a history and it had a story and every the amount that all the objects and, and bench and floor had been used, worn and all that kind of stuff was like pretty important to this idea of the world that our characters are in. Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, the, the piece is really beautiful. The, the lighting is really well thought out. The camera work feels really thought out. And the set itself is beautiful. The puppets are beautiful. But you know, in the end, it's this really beautiful story that I know when you guys were, a, when we were able to watch it at the studio, at, at our studio, you know, our, our, our team was pretty affected by it. And really, uh, it's this really beautiful, without giving anything away, a really beautiful love story. Um, and I'm just curious to, uh, at Tonko House, you know, at our studio, we talk a lot about, a lot of our stories come from a personal place, you know, really digging deep into uh, who we are as people and then being able to project that through our stories. But I'm curious for you guys as directors who had to spend quite a bit of time on this, uh, what is your connection to this story and kind of the uh, the story that's being told in these these characters in a way, in, in, a, in a personal way? How, how do you guys each individually kind of connect um, to the story? Um, for me personally, um, as I was kind of getting deep into the story, because it never really, the initial concept wasn't a love story and it started to become a love story, not intentionally, but it was, I just gotten into my first relationship and <laughs> without getting to kind of dramatic over the, I think I worked it out from the, from pre, from start, putting the first word down to post, I've gone through my first two relationships and breakups. And I know that my, you've seen the ending. There were a lot of conversations about coming in and going, no, this is what I believe how it should end. And it was affected by my feelings, but Goldie would have to chime in and say, I think you kind of just need to take a moment, think of the <laughs> film. I know you, like, that's what your belief on love is now, but that might change again. Uh, so for me, it was very much a romantic story from what that's where my, how I connected to it personally. But I know, Gold, I'll let you speak about this, but uh, you had just gotten your puppy. Do you want to? <laughs> yeah. And well, so it's kind uh, of like a different story for you. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, for me, kind of, like it was already a beautiful story and script when Brad brought it to me, but like as as we went through the film, um, parts of it started to like um, started to grab me and change. Maybe the film almost changed the way I thought a little bit, and then which maybe probably cycled back into the film while we're working on it. But when Brad alludes to my puppy, the first thing was that all of a sudden the the, the character of the dinosaur to me, like um, in my head, just became like a dog. Like he's like this kind of kind of silly fumbling like hopelessly loyal creature that like just would do anything like doesn't have a mean bone in his body and would do anything for the you know the one he loves um so like all of a sudden to me after having a we had our puppy i don't know what what time was that was that the start of the film that was, um, that was pre, yeah yeah right um so like all of a sudden to me he became he became a, a dog um but um the you know as as we delved more into the, like the the kind of story of um, sacrifice and like giving all of yourself to someone else or to a relationship to like make that to make it stronger or, or like or like the fact that you just had to you had to do that without thinking like that's to completely engage yourself and and open yourself up mm-hmm. like I actually kind of like found that affected me and made me think oh like this is like actually an important thing to like to to really be open and give your all to all your relationships. So 
yeah, I think like as I learned that as the film went, that message became more important to me as we were making the film. Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah, it's yeah. that instinctual. You definitely get that in the film is that kind of instinctual and in a way seemingly unconditional love is what's propelling this character towards the other character. And it's just... Um, Really powerful. I, it's so tricky because our audience hasn't seen it, but that's why I want our audience <laughs> to go see it. But it's really um, a beautiful moment and kind of a really overall, uh, you know, th- there's kind of a, what I really get in the end is, is there is, it's, it's, a, it's a philosophical kind of question in the end about how it all ends up and how these two characters love each other and what it all means in the end is kind of left for, there's kind of a bit of a cliffhanger in the end as to wait so does this all work out in the end? You know, the story beyond this is, does it all work out in the end? Do they come back together or, you know, do these things kind of come back uh, in, in, in a wholesome way? And it, and at the same time, I understand the wabi-sabi where it's like, this is all beautiful. You know, it's, it's not um, kind of, uh, that's really, really great. Um, are you guys, what, what's next for you guys? Are you guys um, working on other things? Are you guys, promoting the film now what are you guys up to um now and 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 what does the future look like um, i'm i developing the uh well you're, sorry jeff i just got you off um i i've developed it into a series concept which takes place before the dolls occupied the space where there's a whole community of knitted creatures cool and i took that to pitch in korea um and now i'm in the states now kind of taking some meetings to see if people interested um but then i'm also working on a couple of other series ideas and a feature concept so i'm trying to just kind of keep all the plates spinning at the same time so i'm not sure what's going to um kind of kind of land for me next but that that's where i am and i'm trying to keep all opportunities kind of lit at the moment and those those other things you're developing are a 2d tv series is that right yeah, there's a, the, <clears throat> they're, they're two, I mean, yeah, so I cater for different audiences, but yeah, there were the, there were two 2D animations, um, and then, uh, the feature, which I think would be more, uh, CG animation. Um, uh, I was just going to say, I'm, I mean, I'm still before the film and a little bit during the film and since the film, I've been, I've been, I work as a commercial, um, director. So that's, uh, that keeps me busy, um, and keeps me, um, fed. But I'm looking to, you know, develop some more projects, particularly stop motion and or effects based. There's like a couple of different things, but um, I think the maybe maybe in, in interestingly in opposition to to you, Brad, like moving probably further away from this to something different. What am I trying to say? Uh, like I'm trying to I want to do something different radically different um in terms of tone i just want to like keep i have this kind of um itch to constantly be doing something completely different to the last thing um even though i'm obsessed with some of the same techniques so like one of the stop motion ideas i have is like pretty um dark and serious compared to our film um live action stuff i'd be pursuing is is probably within the realm of like sci-fi um which is you know a big passion for me as well so but yeah, essentially working as a commercial director and, and, and trying to use a bit of the momentum of this film to, to start up another, another project, even if it's radically different. Very cool. How, how um, that all sounds super exciting. It's, it's kind of like, uh, 
really the film is so wonderful that I really feel like I'm, I am excited for what you guys end up doing, whether together or even separate. Um, how has the reaction been to Lost and Found? Has there been any surprises in kind of that, like how people have reacted or has it affected you in any specific way? There have definitely been surprises. I mean, I had a very clear idea of how I felt when I wrote the script and read the script and then we're making it and we had all these discussions. As soon as it goes out into the festivals and it now belongs to the audience, there were really surprising moments where where the audience would be quiet or where the audience would laugh, where say there was a moment that I found quite kind of solemn and the audience would kind of find humor in that or vice versa. So I think there were quite a lot of delightful surprises there that people had kind of taken their own meaning on the film. But I mean, the way I've kind of, I think for both of us is we're taking that and people are really engaging and it's kind of, it means like we're connecting with an audience, which is, I mean, why we're all in this, which is great as storytellers that we can kind of appeal to some kind of thing that's, you know, we haven't met these people and they're finding a personal connection to what we've written. And so that was quite special. I think it's a testament to Sam and his character design and animation that people, <laughs> yeah, people that haven't even seen the film, they haven't even seen the film and they're in love with the characters already just from like Instagram and, and posters and stuff like that, which is awesome that people can be so excited, you know, by even just the characters. I think it's like quite, I find it an interesting thing from a like human psychological perspective, like on what, like we <laughs> like find appealing and you know um adorable and all that kind of stuff like it's um it's pretty cool um but yeah the same i found the same biggest impact for me watching the film in theaters with people was like hearing the amount of like laughter to the film mm. particularly as brad said in like points where you know brad and i when we were working on the film at every stage in the animatic and and, and the filming the editing the sound there's a certain point in the film where we're like, this is it. This is like the saddest point in the film. This is the bit where everyone, like, this is the bit that's going to, it makes us cry. It's going to make everyone cry. Like, let's keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And it's like one of the biggest laughs in the film sometimes now. Oh, wow. um, and I think part of it is like people, like it's this, I think it's a good thing. I think it's because there's enough, there's so much emotion there. Sometimes you don't know how to like, how to deal with it and let it out. And because these acute animated characters and it's pretty like over the top, and you know what's happening. It's pretty over. It's like hyperbolic action. Um, you know, played as as tragic. So when when those people laugh, like first time it happened, I was like, "What is going on?" And yeah. then, you know, we've been to I don't know ten plus screenings now. All of a sudden, it became like my favorite thing. It was like it was like, "Oh, this is really affecting them." Um, it's just this is the way you express it in a room full of people that don't know how to feel. Yeah. With. <laughs> something well, powerful that, that's something that's really interesting because i what I'm, I'm not sure if you've noticed as well our it's i've kind of noticed patterns in terms of the size of our audience gets a different oh, yeah. reaction so if i'm showing one or two people so when i came to show in tonko house uh tonko house where it was a, a relatively small audience comparatively silent and there were it was a very different reaction to when we screened it at say berlin with like a room full of i don't know how many people were in there like 300 children so uh, well, children's totally, a different story even uh, again uh, like, yeah. children yeah. audiences yeah. are even more fun um, yeah that well that that was a very that was a fun screening but 
we could show like in uh when we premiered in australia there was a like new surprises where we hadn't heard reactions to certain elements of the film yeah every audience has been different and it's been great kind of learning about what people are kind of connecting with and where where as like uh, what goldie was saying where they feel kind of part of a community so like when what i've noticed is that when it's smaller people aren't as vocal and when it's larger people do feel safe to laugh or to cry and i yeah that's quite nice that it's just, it's like movie magic it's everyone's in this dark little room watching this campfire and it's like yeah. we're all kind of what you know enjoying the same thing so that that's been yeah that's been lovely to kind of be a part of yeah that's really interesting because when you screened it here there was a general feeling in the room i feel like that it would have been almost odd to laugh in that in, in those moments um yeah whereas i think there's a freedom sitting in the dark and amongst a lot of strangers that you know you're right that expression of kind of emotion coming out can come out in so many different ways but definitely for us uh it was a lingering feeling it definitely you know even after and this is what i find of, of a lot of films that you know i love and and i admire is that the, the feeling of the film lingers on beyond the moment that the credits come up and you kind of walk away and you just, it kind of comes back to you in, in, in moments that you don't expect. And I found that with lost and found is that the thing that the feeling itself was lost and found that it kind of in the moment I was like, Oh wow, that was really clever. And that was really, you know, I felt it. And, but then I'm walking away. I'm like, man, I'm just thinking about those, those guys. I'm thinking about Fox and the dinosaurs sitting, you know, and like, where, where are they now? And, um, they take on their own life beyond the screen that I think is, you know, really deceptively, it's really difficult to do. I mean, I think, I think that's something that when a film is well executed, you don't quite realize that's happening. And I felt that Lost and Found really had that quality. And I'm really glad, Brad, that you were able to come by and share it with us. And, and Andrew, I'm really glad we were able to, I was able to meet you and, and spend some time with you. But, um, you know, for us, uh, just want to say a huge thanks. And I really, we're really excited about the film and, and the work that you guys are doing and that you guys are hopefully be doing. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you guys want to say um, before kind of wrapping up? Um, I just wanted to thank you for letting us come screen it for, obviously we're huge fans of your company and the films you're making. So oh, thanks, thank man. you very much. I mean, your warm words about the film really mean a lot to us. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I'll just say one thing in case I forgot to talk about anyone important that worked on the film i'm really sorry there are so many people well let me just say rather i just want to thank everyone that did work on the awesome. film as you kind of rightly guessed before like you know the crew is dedicated you know there was it was small but everyone you know everyone put in their heart and soul into the film um you can see that on screen and basically you know everyone who worked on this film was just like just a legend and just like made it awesome and we're super lucky that like so many people want it, were willing to give themselves, give up their time and effort to make it awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks you guys so much. And thanks for spending time with us on Tonko, our Tonko cast. And uh, you had the best of luck. And, and for our audience, I hope if Lost and Found is playing near you or uh, you get to see the, check out the trailer online. It's really, really a beautiful film. Thanks guys. Awesome. Thank thanks, you. Robert.